Welcome to Feedback, Adam Art Gallery's new podcast series accompanying the exhibition Image Processes, Artist in the Medium, a short history, 1968 to 2020. Curated by Adam Art Gallery director Christina Barton, Image Processes surveys a history of artists moving image works that take the mass media as their target. It features works by Aldo Tambellini, Richard Serra, Dara Birnbaum, Martha Rossler, with Paper Tiger TV, Harun Faruqi, Lisa Rehana, Megan Dunn, Ryan Tricartan and Lizzie Fitch, Wynne Greenwood and Kate Hardy, Josephine Mexepper, Mike Haynes, Arthur Jaffer and Matthew Griffin. These artists appropriate found footage, restage familiar genres or scrutinise the mechanisms of the information and entertainment industries. They are both avid consumers and sceptical critics of the mediascape that consumes us on a daily basis. For this first episode, Mark Williams, director of Circuit Artist Film and Video Aotearoa New Zealand, talks to Wellington-based artist Mike Haynes. My name is Mark Williams, director of Circuit Artist Moving Image, and with me today is Mike Haynes. Kia ora, Mike. Kia ora, Mark. We're talking to Mike today about his work, News of the Uruguay Round. So, Mike, I want to talk to you about your work in the show. But first, here's a condensed version of the show's promo. Image Processes surveys a history of artists moving image works that take the mass media as their target. The exhibition presents a range of works that appropriate found footage, restage familiar genres, or scrutinise the mechanisms of the information and entertainment industries. Image Processes provides a compelling bridge that links the critical aspirations of an artistic avant-garde to the manipulations and blandishments of quotidian entertainment. So, I know that you, when you were 12 years old, went to Universal Studios. Uh, What are your memories of the visit? They revealed a lot of processes like green screen at the time E.T. was new. And so the audience got to see themselves riding Elliot's bike on the green screen with a live video feed where you see the scene composited and restaged, so you're flying through the forest. And that was alongside a lot of uh, TV show sort of themed entertainment moments. It was like Buck Rogers, Battlestar Galactica, Knight Rider, the A-Team. So, yeah, a lot of them felt like... um, I guess, advertising for Universal's current television shows. And these are all shows you'd seen in New Zealand on TV as well? Yeah, yeah. And it's also a Conan the Barbarian-themed attraction. That would have been great for a 12-year-old young mind. The thing I love about your work is that it combines this kind of love and hate in equal measure. Uh, I mean, people talk about your work as a critique of the Hollywood movie industry, but you're so deeply into its signs and signals and ephemera that I imagine you can't help but on some level also love it. I used to. And I think that as things become increasingly digital, uh, increased use of computer-generated imagery and things like that, I've become less interested in the loss of the sort of handmade aspects of things like stop-motion animation, those kind of pre-digital effects, uh, leaves me a bit cold. So that brings us pretty nicely to your work, News of the Uruguay Round, which is in the show, which remakes the production logos of a number of Hollywood production companies which would ordinarily be seen before a feature film or a TV show. You've remade all of these by hand uh, and it seems to me quite important that there is an element where you don't obscure the fact that they are handmade. 
Would you like to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I think demystifying all of those processes is really important to me, and that's where the genuine fascination in the fandom for movies comes in, is that um, ability to see how things were constructed and that kind of wonder that you've sort of made these things that then somehow come to life on the screen is kind of lost with everything being computer generated. So for me to be able to try and remake those logos that are highly polished as something that is a lot more handmade kind of uh, sort of explores that tension that I always have between the sort of being the fan and the critic. I was interested that you'd made these logos from memory which to me suggests that you're a person of a certain generation who was swamped in a kind of media age. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about how you actually came to be introduced to the kind of material produced by these companies. I mean, were you going to the movies? Were you at home all day after school every weekend watching it all? Yeah, all of those things. And I've also really been fascinated always by logos, you know, when I was a kid, like redrawing the logos that came in the BMX magazine or whatever, you know, copying artwork off record covers, all of that kind of stuff, that sort of fascination with, I guess, corporate branding. And, you know, I've always been interested in all that kind of other media like screen printing, graphic design and all of those sort of things. And so that kind of translates into a love of seeing those things on screen as well. And I guess, yeah, being a kid that grew up watching quite a lot of television, I was also sitting there drawing at the same time when I was watching TV, and I did find a lot of those things to have a lot of kind of creative inspiration. Do you think these logos in themselves have any kind of... Do you think they carry any meaning beyond just simply being the identifier before the movie? Do you think that they... What kind of aspirations of Hollywood are embedded in these logos? Were the logos themselves a work of art, in inverted commas? Oh, yeah, definitely, I think they were. And the logos themselves often were brought into being through technical innovation of their own. So, for example, the RKO uh, logo with the radio tower, the lightning coming out of it, was a really early use of the optical film printer, which was used for putting titles on films and re-photographing films and early mat work making animation, like you could literally layer multiple layers of film together and re-photograph them. And so I guess some of those kind of processes... Uh, things that I've learnt to unpack or become really fascinated with and often through watching things like cartoons like that's 2D animation or hand drawn with travelling maps and all of that sort of stuff you start seeing the same trees going past in the background and chase scenes and all of those kind of things the way logos zoom in and out towards you or um, you know sort of rise up i'm just thinking about the columbia logo you know like this sort of figure rises up through the clouds or what is the figure of um it's a, a robed uh a robed figure <laughs> <laughs> uh with, with the hand pointing upwards sort of hold, holding a torch a bit like the statue of liberty i guess and actually to make that figure i had a souvenir um statue of liberty cigarette lighter <laughs> given me in, so I repainted that and stuck an LED light in the top of it and then refilmed that. And so, yeah, a lot of the things I make are dependent on being able to either find or make the right materials. Like, um, I kind of made them from memory. Like, I would kind of come and go between needing some formal reference points, like the 20th Century Fox logo and Paramount and things like that. I actually um, would take screenshots and then 
used Adobe Illustrator to uh, map the shapes of the letters and I cut them out on the laser cutter. So most of those things have been made physically and then refilmed, usually on the green screen. And so a lot of that stuff might have been hand-painted. So I've sort of translated the medium of how they were made but tried to generally retain the form of the logo, like they're often quite simplified. And um, they're a bit symbolic in the way that they've made because I sort of have to really unpack how to make each one of those logos and how the layers move and everything like that, actually making them in a different medium. So that leads us nicely on to talking about the uh, content of this work, News of the Uruguay Round. It is a response to a global trade agreement made in 1996 called TRIPS, abbreviated to TRIPS. And I was wondering why this trade agreement from 1996 was relevant to you in 2016 and what makes this a contemporary work of art if you're dealing with these old logos and this old trade agreement. So the Trade Relations and Intellectual Property Agreement was an agreement which meant that international corporations were allowed the same access to our labour and broadcasting laws as local companies had. And so that opened up the opportunity for TV shows like Xena and Hercules to be made here. That sounds all right. What's wrong with that? I guess it was good for film workers to get international experience and it did bring work to New Zealand. But my argument is that it led to a prioritisation of making international content and us just being crew and relate and a location rather than telling as many of our own stories. Leading on from that, that allowed films like Lord of the Rings to be made here. And that also created the idea that New Zealand was Middle Earth and that sort of idea of uh, an international movie company and a story that, came, that was set in medieval England that was written in the 1960s um, somehow is colonising our landscape. I find another interesting thing about it was that we talked yesterday or the day before about how a lot of art school graduates have wound up working on these international productions and how their labour has kind of been subsumed into these productions and due to the insanely hectic nature of these productions they don't have time to make their own work either. When I was a film student at Victoria University in the mid-90s quite a number of my friends and classmates left their theatre and film degrees to go and work on TV shows like Xena and Hercules. Whereas I guess I was always more interested in making my own videos than working on someone else's. The other thing I'd say about my earlier work is that I was often interested in the genre study. And so I would go, I would sort of cycle through the genres of Hollywood movie making, you know, like I did a sort of a horror work, science fiction, the teen movie. And so that was a basis for investigating the mechanisms of the movie industry. And I felt after a while there were other ways of doing that. And that's again like the 12-year-old new, isn't it? Soaking up this media environment and then trying to kind of work out you in effect were 
image processing. Yeah. You were the image processor trying to work out what all this stuff has kind of means and has done to you, I suppose. Totally. And I think my version of image processing was to do with absorbing those things and remaking those generic tropes or those uh, logos and things like that rather than sampling. I was always less interested in sampling and more interested in another kind of interpretation, which was based on remaking using found objects as they were sort of simple shorthand language. They have this kind of immediacy, like I can't make those kind of things as cheaply or quickly as I could if I could just go to a junk store, or one of, you know, one of those discount stores, or, you know, find those things secondhand. So for me, a lot of that uh, materiality of consumerism was convenience as well as critique. It offered a huge amount of um, accessible materials, like, for example, the TriStar horse. is just a horse out of a um, plastic cowboy and Indian set, and the wings are made out of wire and masking tape. And just like the Columbia logo is a Statue of Liberty cigarette lighter, which I've repainted. So a number of those things that are in the move, in my work are made by hand, like digitally fabricated and refilmed. And some, and some of them have found objects, just whatever is most convenient to get the job done. It's interesting you say that because one of the other artists exhibiting the show is Megan Dunn. And her work basically involved renting VHS tapes of classic Hollywood films um, from the um, early colour animation era to recent kind of um, steamy blockbusters and then editing parts out. So I was mixing it with um, action, new material filmed of herself, but by and large working with existing material and her rationale that she said to me once was that all this material's been filmed so beautifully, it exists in the world already, why do I need to create some more? I might as well just use all this good stuff. <laughs> yeah, I can relate to that. That's, that's a um, very effective strategy. And also things like that have that familiarity, which draws the audience in. And I think it works really well because it becomes uncanny. Like It's sort of familiar, but it's also unsettling. You sort of have that instant recognition I like to say with Megan's work, the obsession perfume ad, you kind of know where you are because of those tropes of advertising. Like you can instantly recognise the production values and the type of cinematography and all of those things. But then there's also these other weird characters coming into the shop, these sort of animated things layered over the top, which are a little bit more sort of unsettling and they kind of um, encourage you to think about the wider construction of advertising and media and all of those things, particularly when you see two things juxtaposed together which you wouldn't normally see, which is you know very similar to Matthew's work as well in the show. So Megan does this juxtaposition of material that exists already in the world, and that also is in the first work you see in the show, which is by artist Matthew Griffin. And I guess... Uh, the shorthand for it would be that it's a cut-up of around 130 short video clips from the Trump media year. And I guess when I, you know, when I came to the show, I felt immediately at home because I've seen this kind of uh, technique of detournment, uh, of using the, the weight of the enemy against itself, if you like, through several generations of moving image-making and experimental film and video art. And I thought, well... what is this going to seem new or contemporary to me? And it actually really shocked me because I could not believe how much imagery I had absorbed of this Trump year. 
it was just something I wasn't aware of. What was what did you think about that work? I thought it was hilarious, and I thought it was really clever the way that he could so quickly respond to what was going on in the media, like making you know these hundred and thirty odd films like that, like um, that style that he uses of taking the official head, you know, like uh, Trump or Sean Hannity, the Fox News reader or whoever it is, and quite crudely pasting them over some found footage of a, a suitable body to a quite hilarious effect is a really great strategy, I think, in undermining the authority of that kind of talking head voice. And suddenly you see, like, Sean Hannity and he's, like, waxing a guy's back and then... <laughs> And, you know, quite often Trump is portrayed as being this sort of delusional teenager uh, as, you know, having his head pasted over these kind of home videos that are probably ripped off YouTube of, you know, people playing musical instruments in their bedroom. There's a guy with the guitar and there's this hilarious scene with um, someone playing a miniature drum kit, which has been positioned on the uh, closed lid of a toilet. <laughs> and so, you know, as Trump is kind of going through all of these... Um, or, you know, he's, he's ranting or, or whatever he's doing. Um, it's actually really distracting because you mostly just end up um, watching what else is going on and, and how his image has been, or how Matthew has manipulated and processed his image. And the sound is deliberately not that loud for such a hugely overwhelming scale of screen. And so you find yourself sort of getting closer and closer to it, actually trying to listen to what's going on. So, yeah, it's, it's quite disconcerting because on a number of levels you sort of feel like the authority of those people has been taken away, like that, that talking head is normally full screen that's been sort of quite brutally shrunk down to fit onto this into this ridiculous scenario that is quite often really crudely cropped and, you know, the, the, line, the way the two clips are lined up is really functional but it's incredibly rough and I find, you know, making that kind of work like that for me, I think it's actually quite difficult. It's really liberating to do something that roughly. Like even with my work, with you know, you can see the edges of the layers, and you can see how shonky it is when everything moves. You know, sometimes when I was making those kind of things, it kind of would even make me cringe. I go, oh man, I, you know, it's like sometimes I had to do all these things that is against your kind of better judgment of the proper way of doing things. You know, tidying stuff up and making things fit neatly and all of that kind of stuff. I think it kind of is the brutal treatment of those subjects um, and how dismissive they are in Matthew's work is what's really funny. But I think it's that, that quality of um, being dismissive of authority is also really apparent in Martha Rossler's work with the, the where she's reading the Vogue magazine. Like obviously she knows what's going on in the magazine and it's really carefully scripted and everything like that. But it's just the way she handles the magazine in this really offhand way. So you know when you pick up a magazine, you kind of like flick through it backwards. Like she's doing that. She's not really carefully reading it from start to finish as meant to. And she's always sort of stopping on the pages and the advertising and things like that. But it really makes me feel that... Um, yeah, maybe that's what I have in common with some of those other artists is this sort of... Um, sort of opportunistic, sort of this dismissive quality, this way of uh, strategies for destabilising these things and the way that they're represented. Well, it's interesting you say that because your work is opposite uh, Lisa Rehana's work. Lisa Rehana is opposite your work. And I found this was super interesting because 
Lisa's film, Wog, features... It's one of her early works, really enduring work, one of the absolute classics of artist moving image production in Aotearoa, I think. But there's also a handmade element in this film by Lisa as well. What, yeah, what are your thoughts on the pairing of yourself with Lisa and opposite each other? I think that's a really important point, and it's that idea of being able to realise that you can make those kind of films for yourself, that, you know, regular people can make films. That sort of idea of seeing the human hand and seeing that she's used rubber skeletons, she's used all these familiar kind of props, or she's, you know, made her own sets, all of those kind of things. I saw Wog Features, and I had seen the McGillicuddy Serious Party um, political um, animation that Lisa made a few years before. And so I was really aware of her work and it was she was one of the artists that made me want to make videos. And, yeah, I must have seen that quite a few years before I started making my own work. But, yeah, had quite a formative influence. We've talked about some of the political layers to your work with this TRIPS agreement, but I wanted to ask you about a more broader kind of political idea which is the link between the military and the moving image industry i wonder if you could talk a little bit about that well that goes back to its earliest days with his howard hughes who flew the spruce goose he was like an early aviator came from a really rich family from the oil industry and because of his interest in aviation he started directing hollywood movies and then he became the owner of rko pictures and so there have always been a number of um, connections between military funding and um, the movies because some of that technology is compatible for uh, both industries. For example, the optical film printer, which was used for making titles and doing early special effects, was partly funded by the military because they wanted something to make training films and to resize maps. But there's also some very contemporary links, aren't there? Sure. Well, the automotive industry was really instrumental in the development of CAD, as was the, um, as aviation, for designing engines and being able to build machines and things like that. And that uh, technology was picked up by Pixar. And films like the um, Transformers movie and things like that uh, rely very heavily on crossover with those kind of industries. And those industries are based around a kind of perfection of the image, aren't they? There's not really any... It's all artifice. There's no hand of the maker. Yeah, yeah, completely. And the ability to be able to make everything digital these days is that that extends to merchandising, like toy production. You know, those same files can be used to recreate, um, you know, 3D-printed action figures or or moulds to make figurines, whatever. Or... um, can come from the same data. Well, Mike, I think we've covered a lot of ground there and um, I hope that we've provided an introduction to your work and to the show. Um, I would encourage people to go see Image Processes. It's not on for actually a huge amount of time, just a couple of months until the 7th of November. So I'd really encourage you to go check us out. There's some really world-class artists in there and at a time when not many international uh, visitors are coming by. It's a great 
opportunity. And if you want to see more of Mike's work, uh, you can visit the website circuit.org.nz where he has streaming video versions of about 15 of his artworks. Mike, thank you very much for joining us today. Thanks, Mark. And thanks to Christina Barton for a really exciting show. Really pleased to be part of it and to see a whole lot of video artworks in New Zealand that I would have not expected to see. You can visit image processes at the Adam Art Gallery Pa Takatoi from 14 September to 7 November 2021 or at www.adamartgallery.org.nz.